podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. Let's just dive straight in because I don't know what time it is for me and I don't know where in the world you are, whether you have your underwear um, and everything else that's been going on with you at the moment. So straight into this World Cup, let's talk about Pakistan uh, because I find this really fascinating. Uh, I just had a look at the numbers and from two years before the last World Cup, Pakistan had the best win-loss ratio in T20 cricket, uh, I think. India were up there, and I think England might have been the other side. They were both; all three were pretty dominant, to be fair. Uh, but but there's no doubt Pakistan were incredible. They won the first whatever it was, four or five games in the qualifying uh, last time, and then they end up in the uh, semi final with Australia. They have Australia needing 81 of 46 deliveries, right? Uh, Glenn Maxwell's just gone out. Shut up, Khan is bowling. And Marcus Stoinis does this weird sort of slog across the line. Mm. Uh, and Asif Ali's about two meters in from the boundary. Ball goes over his head, lands, I don't know, let's say three foot behind the boundary, rope behind him. So if he'd been on the rope, it would have been an easy catch. From that moment onwards, Pakistan's uh, World Cups have not been particularly good. Um, they they go out of that game, which is, as I said, the semifinal. Mm. Um you you then go um, all the way forward to the India game where was it? What was that? I'm trying to think. When was the biggest? It was fifty no forty eight off eighteen. I think was the yeah. biggest. Uh, you know runs per over that they needed at, at at that stage. Obviously they lose that game. They then bowl Zimbabwe out for 130. Uh, well, sorry, restrict them to 130 uh, and can't do that. And if you go through everything, Barrett, they were the best team. They also had the best uh, death bowlers over the last mm. three or so years in in World um, T20 cricket, statistically. Uh, if you go through the openers, which would have been really handy when chasing 130, right? It's incredible how many good things Pakistan have managed to have, and yet they're about to lose two straight World Cups. One uh, to the team that won it from a position that they shouldn't have lost. I should say in that Australia game, their death bowling was so bad that the 81 of uh, 46, Australia actually got off uh, 40 balls. Um, so mm. they didn't need the last over in that particular chase because uh, Australia did so well. Obviously what happened with Virat Kohli and, uh, in Melbourne and then the Zimbabwe game. You look on paper, and correct me if I'm wrong, this Pakistan team's still really, really good. It's just been that the ways that he has collapsed in the three out of the four last World Cup games it's, it's uh, played has been absolutely against type um, and spectacular. It also tells you uh, why T20 cricket uh, is T20 cricket, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think... Often we say, oh, anything can happen in this format. And it generally does when Pakistan is playing. <laughs> you, you're right. I mean, last year, they were the form team going into the semifinals. Uh, in those conditions in the UAE, they looked like they had everything going for them. And even at that point, uh, when uh, Stoinis was there and then before Matthew Wade came and finished it off, it was all Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They, they're gone. Similarly, you know, with their bowling attack, what they did against India, 
there was no way india had any right to win that game uh, you know even virat kohli used the word impossible a couple of times in the post match because it, it 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 was pakistan's game they india won it but they also lost it uh, and you're right uh, you look at that new ball attack in these conditions as they have done pretty much in all three games in a way uh, they take wickets but i think the problem is uh, the only thing that hasn't worked for them in world cups is is dead bowling like you said and uh, and the fact that maybe i would point a finger at babar azam the fact that he just loses his uh, nerve loses his cool we spoke about this after the india pakistan game as well uh, that panic sets in with with him you can see he gets all frantic he starts moving around um, there's just too much time taken in between balls or people are just rushing through their overs and going for a lot of runs i i think it's it's more to do with uh, i may is it could it be because a lot of them except maybe a haris rav uh, don't play a lot of t20 cricket around the world i mean they play in the psl but do they play enough in these other leagues i mean you're the master of this jared uh, that leads to this panic i i'm i don't know i'm guessing uh, but they, they've lost more less than like skills or performance they've lost games because they've haven't been hold uh, been able to hold their nerve similarly against zimbabwe as well even three of three balls you backed them they got runs in that final over you know brad evans hadn't played the first half of the tournament a young bowler under pressure he hadn't played mm-hmm. international cricket before may this year but from there they managed to lose so it's it has to be it has to be the fact that uh, they just kind of mentally break down i guess yeah i mean i think you're right when you when you said at the start it's t20 cricket there has to be a sense of randomness to it like i, I was thinking about this today if they who they got next they've got bangladesh they haven't played and south africa mm. right L- yeah. let's just say based on the odds they should beat bangladesh and lose to south africa absolutely yeah. fine um they'll they'll end up with a 2 and 3 record in the world cup and you go okay if that was an ipl season or or a, you know a long t20 season well you got 14 you know 12 games 14 games 15 games whatever it is you two and three at the start um now you get some momentum and you hit the middle of the tournament and and you, and you come back right we don't have that so the fact that they lost a game they should have won um and then yeah. had a big upset against zimbabwe there's no coming back from that right that's it that's that's where it stops so I think you're right from that perspective. The Baba Azam thing's really interesting because I think that makes sense um in the in the two losses when they were bowling. I'm not quite sure how that fits into the Zimbabwe one other than the fact that he didn't make any runs, right? But no one was thinking mm. that was going to be a loss anyway. Um but but I think you do I do I think you're right. I think there is a an element of there are some times when I listen to him talk about captaincy and leadership and there was something he um he was talking oh the net run rate game against the netherlands wasn't it when they he came off the field and they said you know we happy with that and he said oh yeah you know we lost more wickets than we would have wanted to and i'm thinking why are you worried about wickets like lose nine wickets just win the game um in as few balls as possible it was possible even at that stage that net run rate wasn't going to matter and they weren't going to make it to the tournament but it just feels like they're not really thinking about this correctly and if you look at some of the other teams like how sensible new zealand are with everything how meticulous india have been right even even australia you you saw when aaron finch went off the field there was all the experience mm. on, on the field but there was no 
no one was really in charge. And suddenly Lorcan Tucker starts hitting the ball everywhere. You, you know, you yeah. know we, we see those things happen. But with, the, with Pakistan, I think you're right. There is that sort of, it's almost like there is a lack of a cohesive plan. And that the other thing that you mentioned was that a lot of them don't play outside their league. So there's nothing wrong with playing in your local league. And that's probably one of the reasons mm. that Pakistan has been so successful. I mean, the PSL's such a high quality league. You're, there are it proper is. analysts out there who think it's as high quality as the IPL, right? And yeah. on, even if you don't think it's there, it's so close to that level anyway. It's a really strong league and they have been really strong internationally. But are they going out and playing for their supper in the way that perhaps some other um, players are and just hardening those edges? It's, it's that whole thing of, mm. um, you know, then you're never going to get dropped from your PSL team. And if you're in the best, let's say seven or eight Pakistani players, you're going to play all the time, right? Too. I think those are all valid points. Um, but, you know, I also would just like to say that sometimes it's just fantastically weird, the sport. There is a big element of shit happens in that because you and I probably have pointed out some of the things that are true. But if you just mm. break down the fact that Pakistan turned up with two openers who score uh, 52% of their runs or whatever it is, and then they got here and the two openers are making currently, I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's negative 17% of their runs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I just saw a post on uh, social media from a Pakistani journalist about their strike rates. I mean, not just Babar Azam and Mohamed Rizwan, but I think the top five or six, they're all like ranging between 30 to 110. Uh, so Shan Masood's got some runs, uh, but he's played his role well. But the others have just floundered, you know, even the big hitters that they have. I mean, the whole plan for Pakistan seems to be the top three uh, provide that platform. And then the Haider Ali's and the Asif Ali's and the Shadab Khan's and all of them come and play a lot of shots. That doesn't seem to be working. They want uh, it to work either. Uh, we saw it against India. We saw it against Zimbabwe as well. Uh, so, yeah. And, and I think maybe that top order is more suited for uh, non-Australian conditions, maybe more subcontinental conditions where you can play that sort of game. Uh, but it goes back to what you said. Uh, the I wouldn't see a lack of uh, game plan, but almost a stubbornness to not move from... And there are some other teams as well. I mean, at some level, Australia seem to be doing that as well with um, not wanting to mess around with their playing 11. Or, and we'll talk about it in, uh, after the break, I'm sure, about uh, using Mitchell Stark in a certain way during this World Cup. Uh, which adds to the whole fascinating, like fascinating aspects of this World Cup itself, uh, how teams are being made to change what they usually do. But with Pakistan, they just seem to have come with the same formula from from last year, which kind of worked. Um, and they've just brought him. I, I, I thought Mohammad Wasim um, is a is a find for them, right? In the last uh, however long he's been playing, he seems to get the Yorkers right. Um, I mean, albeit he took wickets against uh, Zimbabwe towards the end, uh, that's what they lacked against India, right? One more medium pacer, even if he could bowl one over, they could well have, um, they would have won that game. Well, they made Mohamed um, Nawaz into a medium pacer, if you remember. Into a medium pacer and we saw what happened. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's sad because I think at the moment, they're almost, if you take their World Cup performance aside... They're peaking as a T20 side. You know, they seem to be finding all these guys. Nasim Shah has really come mm. of age in this format. He's been really good. Uh, Mohamed Wasim, like I said, Mohamed Wasim Jr. And also on that, at what point does he stop being a junior? I was thinking about it the other day. Like, 
if he plays more matches than Mohammad Wasim senior, does that make him senior? I don't know. It has nothing to do with our point, but it is something to ponder about. <laughs> they seem to be finding all these players, uh, uh, Babur and Rizwan, coming into the tournament seem to be uh, on top of their game. But it just seems to have uh, completely collapsed. As it has at times for Pakistan in World Cups, 50 over and T20 over World Cups, uh, they can have disastrous campaigns. And I don't know whether this counts yet as a disastrous campaign, but it's heading in that direction. I mean, you would expect them to beat Bangladesh in, in Adelaide. Uh, and I am in Adelaide, Jared, by the way. Uh, just got here this morning. Uh, met the dogs. Very happy to see me. Uh, and wh- who knows what what's going to happen against South Africa. I mean, they always have that one unexpected result, don't they, Pakistan, in most World Cups. So we'll, we'll have to wait and watch. But if not, if either of those games don't go their way, you would have to count this as a disastrous campaign in conditions where with the bowling attack that they have, uh, and we've already seen the bowling attacks are the ones winning matches for teams, you would, you would have backed them to make a better fist of it. They should have. I mean, it, keep going back to that India-Pakistan game. If they just held their nerve or if Mohamed Nawaz had just bowled normally uh, or whatever, there's so many things could have resulted in what should have been a Pakistan win, but it didn't. And ever since, they've just unraveled. Yeah, I mean, they've basically somehow managed to lose two unlosable games, uh, which is on its own remarkable. But So I, I just did the power list for the tournament. And you go through it and you, you have a look at what is working so far in this tournament. And it's anchors, even in Aaron Fitch's case, um, uh, and non-intentional anchors. Um, and it's obviously seen bowling. And the other thing that's quite handy is to have, like Zimbabwe have had, you know, a, a, and I suppose Bangladesh, the ability to have a spinner in the side, but not taking up a bowling slot so you can f- fit an extra seam in, mm. right? And then you look at Pakistan and you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's exactly what they have. Like, you know, exactly. And, yeah, that's and, true. And yet, you know, we are in this position where they've lost two, these two games and it could be complete fluke. I don't know what the win percentage chance was at the halfway point of that game against Zimbabwe, but probably 108% on Winviz um, chance of, of, of the winning. And obviously, you know, it was well over 90% again against um, against India in that particular game. So it's remarkable. Anyway, we'll have a break here on Uncovered. And then after the break, we'll talk more about this World Cup. All right. Welcome back. We, I can't remember if it was, I don't know how long ago now, because this tournament seems to be going on for a hundred years, but at one stage, uh, before you lost your underwear um, and uh, it got savaged by the Pakistani baggage problems, um, <laughs> we said this was the Underdogs World Cup. We've still, since that moment, seen about another three or four key games. Obviously, rain has played a big part. The Australian wickets being weird and being different in every different location has been really interesting. So we've got underdogs winning. We've got different pitches in different locations, Mm. uh, different challenges that you need to worry about. We're in a position where the group stages have been so open at at points that people have been talking about Zimbabwe and Afghanistan and Ireland, even, you know, and, and even Sri Lanka qualifying. I feel bad putting Sri Lanka last. I meant to put them first and then forgot. But it's been quite open. Things have been happening. We still don't know for sure um, this deep into the tournament who is actually going to qualify 100%, although it looks like India and South Africa, obviously, from that group, but the other group is mm. still a little, little bit open. Yes, mm. we've uh, had some rain, but it's been a fantastically interesting tournament. It's been one of the most fun tournaments I can remember covering in a very long time. 
any ICC tournament for that matter, right? Not just T20 World Cups or World T20s as they used to be called. And because of that, I think the, we spoke about this before the tournament began. So many unknowns around T20 cricket in this part of the world, especially this time of the year. And it showed up. Uh, speaking to Josh Hazelwood yesterday after the game, uh, he mentioned it as well. I mean, you're talking about a very seasoned Australian fast bowler. About how all of them, him, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins, have gone from venue to venue and have had to kind of adjust to the difference in 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 pitches even at the gaba the gaba I, I bumped into him just before he started his mix zone and he was saying generally carries through a lot more the game that they played against west indies the t20 before the world cup began he said it was carrying through a lot more like the gaba but this one was uh, wasn't especially in the second innings it wasn't going through like a proper gaba wicket so in yeah Immediately, they had to adjust. Like, you know, you had to start bowling more cutters. And also, the lengths that you had to bowl with your cutters changed. Literally, after two or three balls into his spell, he had to change what he was doing or what he expected to do. Similarly, at Perth, the ball was flying all over the place. We saw what happened in India, South Africa. But I was there for Australia, Sri Lanka, where the like Matthew Wade was collecting balls. Like You felt like we were back in the days of... Uh, you know, when Lillian Thompson used to bowl at the Wacker. <laughs> so, it really did feel like that. Um, and interesting, Callum Ferguson did say it on the sidelines of that game, how different the Wacker is from the Optus. Where the Optus... And it, it explains a lot about why so many batters have been getting out playing the horizontal bat shot uh, and getting top edges. So, he said that at the Wacker... The ball kind of... It's, the bounce is more linear, if that makes sense. It kind of... It, it, it used to hit that length and just go that way. But mm. here at the Optus, it's more tennis ball bouncy. So it kind of lands and it goes slightly more vertical. So it kind of is at the batter. And that's why it's so many top edges we've seen, uh, you know, resulting in wickets and a few sixes here and there as well. Uh, so to adjust to that as a bowler, as a mm. batter, uh, and then the SCG where New Zealand tore them apart, where Australia tried everything and, and it didn't work out. Uh, because the the pitch was drier, and that's what Mitchell Stark said yesterday about uh, you know adjusting to those conditions. Because his role has changed. Australia have decided that he's not going to be the new ball striker. Uh, Aaron Finch uh, was talking about it before the last game against Ireland that he they want him to bowl three overs in the middle. Um, so completely changes his role, right? He's still an attacking bowler, but his lengths aren't. He's not going to swing, bowl too full, and try to swing the ball, which is the Mitchell Stark length. So it's uh, literally nose and toes almost. Uh, and as we've seen, his wickets have come off those Yorkers in this tournament, uh, and bowl that one one death over. So, but again, even within that role, he's had to change his lengths, change his approach, the size of the boundaries, uh, the the quality of the others style of the pitches uh, and because Australia played everywhere uh, I mean they didn't get to play at the MCG because uh, that game was rained off but uh, if from Sydney to Perth to the Gabba it's been very different and similarly it's uh, for every team that's played and I want to stick my neck out and say this is the best T20 World Cup I've ever covered or seen despite what three or four matches being completely washed off and a couple being affected by rain uh, and so much talk about the weather, uh, to, about the weather. But every time there has been cricket, it's been fascinating, and that's why an Ireland-Australia game, Ireland were backing themselves, uh, and mm-hmm. that's what Andy Balbany was saying. Like we, for the first time in our dressing room, we felt like we could beat Australia. And look, if they had done a few things right, if they hadn't like played 
some kamikaze cricket at the start with the bat. Uh, Andy Balboni to start with, the shot he played, where he just walked away and the ball hit off stump as he tried to kind of play some weird ramp or scoop or whatever. They could have, you know, pushed Australia. Uh, you know, and they never let Australia get away. You know, Australia got to 179, but still you felt that Ireland were in the game. And Zimbabwe are still within a shot of, um, you know, qualifying for the semi-finals, like you said earlier. All in all, it's just been, it adds to the whole, uh, you know, intrigue and the, uh, the excitement of uh, what, according to me, has been a fun World Cup. And hopefully the weather's clearing now. Um, it, it is very rainy and wet. Like when I landed this morning, the air hostess said it's 9 degrees or 10 degrees outside. Brr, I've never had <laughs> to say that before. Uh, but it is cold and wet today, but the weather's clearing up and we have the Adelaide legs starting from tomorrow. So that's going to be fun, uh, except for me because I'll have to do domestic shows in the morning and at night after the game. But uh, I think, yeah, we, so we'll we wait and see what Adelaide has to offer. Uh, generally in T20 cricket, it's been a great pitch to bat on. Uh, but the guys who've done well here, think about it, right? The likes of Peter Siddle and those guys who roll their fingers over the ball and are very canny operators. So I expect that to come into uh, the picture now. Maybe some spin, Rashid Khan, for example. Uh, and that's one element we haven't seen, the spinners having a big say. But I think that's going to happen this week. So how can you, you know, what, what's left then? Like, you know, it's been a complete World Cup in that sense, despite the weather and the best ever, in my opinion. Yeah, so for those who don't know about the rain, it's the most rained out matches we've ever had in a World Cup already. So the previous record was two. So we've actually been pretty lucky with completely rained out matches. I think, I think it was in 83 they had reserve days. I don't know how many of those were used. So it is possible that uh, we might have had slightly more rain. But even so, this is still more rain than we've ever had before. Although, fun fact for you, the uh, 1973 first World Cup um, that we ever had, with, which was the Women's World Cup. The first game was Jamaica, New Zealand. Uh, no crowd turned up for the first day, partly because it never stopped raining. Uh, so the very first game we ever had in a World Cup was washed out. So <laughs> good start cricket there. But yeah, I think England losing uh, to Ireland, um, Zimbabwe beating Pakistan, Namibia, Sri Lanka, all those sorts of things. If you're a neutral and you're not following every game, and uh, um, not, not a neutral, sorry, if, you, if you're someone who's not following every game, that sucks mm. you in, right? Mm. Uh, so I think I think that really works. Uh, as you said, if you're a hardcore person, you've got all these different things. Uh, I mean, you talked about everything there with Adelaide Oval, but also we've got new ground dimensions again, right? Which is not, mm. you know, it's it's drastically different. So we're going to see a lot of different um, action on that particular one. Uh, so far, you've probably only had what two teams uh, who were playing anywhere near consistently their best in uh, in. Um, hmm. New Zealand and South Africa, which from a purist yeah. point of view, it's like, oh, well, no one's playing good, but it's like, that kind of gives everyone a chance though. As you, as you said, that, uh, that Australia Island game is so interesting because if Maxwell doesn't get his two wickets early on and they just lost three wickets yeah. instead of the five wickets that they lost in whatever it was, felt like five balls, but it was a little bit longer than that. But if yeah. they just lost the three wickets, Lorcan Tucker might have had someone to bat with towards the end of the game at that point, right? Like, you know, it, it, so th there are lots of little things ha um, happening. We also, also some of the more farcical moments of that game that should have been shut down. The um, South Africa Zimbabwe game should never have been a World Cup game. They should never have been on the field trying to yeah. play. But also watching it was fascinating. Of uh, the umpire seeing everyone falling over here. Uh, you know, <laughs> at one stage I can't remember who it was. It might have been Tendai. I had that 
towel and you could see the towel was wet. He was trying to dry the ball with, yeah. like it was just the whole thing. So I, I, I think it's been, I, I think it's been really, really um, good. The, one thing I would say to you is you've been traveling around from where I am, uh, you know, back in London, it doesn't see, and talking to family and friends, it doesn't seem like the uh, Australian crowds have really noticed that there's a world cup on partly mm. i suppose australia losing that first game and then having the next big game washed out you know not particularly massive. oh actually let's go back they lost their first big game their second game against mm. sri lanka was played at 4 a.m uh because it was played in perth <laughs> and then the third game was washed out right so at a certain point i feel like am i missing one did they play afghanistan in the middle of all that they... no no they're still to play you yeah to play afghanistan. i was just making yeah. sure they haven't played that yeah so yeah, I would say that if anything was holding it back, but in 2015 Australia was really good, and that was in the height of summer. And I think you were out, you were out for that one, weren't you? Uh, no, I, I was here just before that World Cup Test series and the Tri series. Yeah, yeah, better part of the summer. I wasn't there for the big scoring World Cup. So that World Cup, when you covered it and you went to New Zealand, New Zealand were just all in on the World Cup, right? Like it just felt like. Everyone yes. was in. And then you went back to Australia and you'd be in a city before a big game. And unless it was India or Pakistan, you wouldn't even be able to tell that there was a World Cup game about to happen. So it's not the first time that Australia have held a World Cup and the crowd haven't really got involved in it. I'd say that's the only thing at the moment that is holding it back slightly mm. um, from being, and with that in the rain, um, are holding it back. But I just think it's been endlessly fascinating you know even so much so that there hasn't been a lot there's been what the cold sandwiches um scandal when paul rohuchama didn't get um the food he was looking <laughs> for uh there's been the uh virat Kohli hotel room scandal of recent times uh there's been the pakistan mr bean but for a normal world yes. cup when you and i are usually following world cups it's like they usually there's like one of those every two days and there hasn't even been as many of those sorts of stories and, yeah. and i don't know if that's just because the cricket's been fascinating so we haven't noticed them as much yeah absolutely and uh you know this is generally around the time you know sure we talk about the the f- funniest thing of the week or like something that caught my eye and i was at the gabba when i saw something that i'd never seen before and I know you know what I'm talking about. Zimbabwe, Bangladesh. The game's over. Oh my the god! Two teams yes. are shaking hands. It was the most extraordinary thing ever. For, okay, you know, I've never seen it, that happen before. Let me just explain it, and then you take us through what it was like to be there. Because I ha- I don't think I've talked to anyone who was there yet. It's so fascinating. So Zimbabwe are coming from behind. They need 19 off nine balls. I think when uh, Sean Williams went out, he carried mm. them towards this this low Bangladesh total, right? A, a, a brilliant innings by him. He goes out. There's a bit of hitting at the end. And Zimbabwe finally needs six runs off the last ball to win and four runs to get the super over. Blessing Muzurabani, you know, nine foot 12 of him trying to swing his bat around. He gets stumped and the game is over and Bangladesh come together and the fans and the, the ICC machine comes in and, you know, they're putting the things up on the field to do all this sort of stuff. And yet the umpires are out there chatting. And I had a look at this today. I can't even remember why I was looking at it. I think I was just bored at one stage and I was having a look at, 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 at <laughs> there's like a five minute package of it on the, on the ICC uh, website. Oh. And I'm having a look at it going, the umpires just um, uh, reviewed it in part, I believe, because they were trying to tell if it was a caught behind or um, a stumping. Um, and because they'd actually reviewed one earlier, I think it was a couple of balls earlier they'd been a stumping and they'd reviewed that. And mm. they had to have a look if it was a court behind first, and then they had to look at the stumpy. And when they had a look at it, and you have a look at the square leg umpire on the field, he doesn't seem like he's interested in the stumping particularly at all at that moment. 
And then something changes clearly, and you you can give us more details on all this. And then suddenly it's uh, Erasmus and who uh, was it? Kettlebra, Erasmus and yeah, yeah. And then then I they think, you, uh... see, you suddenly see a footage of them like a wide shot looking up at the screen, and you realize that so- someone said <laughs> something to them in their ear. And then you see the stumping. And I would say it's almost an inch and a half of the gloves of, of the keeper ahead of the stumps. Um, and so that's a no ball. I, you know, that's where you and I live, that sort of, uh, you know, I've been waiting for that call for so long. Josh Butler did one <laughs> in a test match in England and they never called it. And it's still annoying me to this day that they showed it on the replay and the umpires didn't notice it. Anyway, it's a no ball because you can't have your gloves ahead of the stumps unless the ball has been touched by the batter and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, so then they have to get all the stuff off the field and they go back through it. And of course, the next ball is a dot ball anyway. Um, and, and he only needs, what, four four to win at this point, blessing. And it's a dot ball anyway. So we have that uh, that end. What was it like to be in the stadium when that was happening? Because it looks absolutely crazy watching it as a dispassion person two days later. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, it was an exciting finish anyway. Like, let's, before even we get into this drama, uh, Ingarawa comes in and smashes the biggest six you'll ever see of an off spinner over a deep backward square leg. And then the next ball, that's the something you're talking about. He tries to repeat the shot, even though Ryan Burl is at the other end. And he misses. And I've never seen a batter more distraught. He's abusing himself. He's swaying, flinging his arms all around. I thought he was going to start hitting himself on the head with his bat. And it takes him a while to get off the field. Poor, I felt so bad for him. I've never seen an international cricketer honestly react that way after getting out. He's so filthy with himself. Uh, Then Muzrabani walks out. Um, And like you said, he swings and, and, and the stumping happens. The question is, would the umpires have even gone for the review or even thir- got the third umpire interested uh, if the Bangladesh wicketkeeper hadn't knocked the sums off, right? So If he the, just holds the, the ball, they wouldn't have checked, would they? Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't have checked. They wouldn't have checked. Like, yeah. And, and so, so then what happens is then you can see, right, the commentators, I, I remember seeing Michael Atherton and maybe Ian Bishop, all of them, uh, packed their bags. They they already started walking away from... Uh, walking away from the dressing room, uh, sorry, the commentary box area, onto the field. Uh, one of them's about to do the presentation. You're right, the whole post-match presentation setup was almost in place. And then you see the Zimbabweans and the Bangladeshis shaking hands. And from where we were sat at the Gaba, right under us were all the Bangladeshi fans. And not too far were the Zimbabwean fans. So we're already in the whole post-match emotion field. You know, the Zimbabweans are upset. The Bangladeshis are cock-a-hope. They're all waving at their fans. They're smiling. And they it takes them such a long time to realize what has happened. Because the no-ball thing comes up. The umpires are frantically asking the players to come back onto the field. I think the Zimbabweans obviously see it. Ryan Burl has already walked out. And this is the scene I'll never forget, Jared. So Ryan Burl's walking out once again to bat. And the Bangladeshis are still like giving each other high fives. They're smiling. They haven't turned around and seen what's happened. Or maybe they haven't realized what's happened. Uh, and, and the fans, are, and you can imagine what the press box was like. You know, 70 Bangladeshi journalists jumping up and down. Big match for them. They takes them to second on the table. Uh, and all of a sudden, this happens. And then it literally took them two and a half to three minutes to con- like convince the Bangladeshi players that they had to come back out. And at this point, uh, the Zimbabweans think they have a chance, I guess. Unfortunately, Burl's not on strike. It's still Mazurabani. And the wicketkeeper decides to do what uh, Mohamed Rizwan did, which is like stand a few yards behind. And then the square leg umpire comes in and says, no, it's a free hit. 
uh, because it's a no ball. So you can't change your position. But my thought is, yeah, what about the rest of the field? There's no way. I mean, unless you took a picture and like, yeah. you know, you compare it. There's no way you knew where everybody else was. But the keeper, uh, kind of because it was right in front and he was doing something very odd, was put back into his place. Uh, and then there was this whole anticlimax. And all I kept thinking about was, what if that ball goes for four? Do they shake hands again? Or or do Zimbabwe just celebrate? It was just bizarre. And yeah, then the whole anticlimax of that. That, that event where you know he just misses basically the repeat of what happened but and this time again the keeper picks up the ball he throws it at the stump uh, and the ball rolls away I mean I'm not saying that uh, Zimbabwe should have run or they would have finished or they would have completed three runs but uh, I was sitting next to Ganesh my Crick bus colleague and he's like is that ball dead when is the ball dead which is actually a very interesting point that's uh, the I mean of all the laws that like need interpretation dead balls kind of uh, mm. always left to the umpire right and and technically if zimbabwe had started running they might have been running it would have been a live ball wouldn't it yeah but there could have been some panic in the bangladeshi camp overthrows who knows right that that's the only thing we didn't get that day i mean we had all sorts of other dumps i can't remember when this was uh, maybe 3 or 4 years ago there was a women's big bash game where the ball was in the wicketkeeper's glove and they celebrated and they threw it up in the air. And as they threw it up in the air, the other team ran the extra run to win the game or tie the oh, game no, or whatever it was. Yeah. So we <laughs> have seen, and I reckon that's happened twice weirdly in women's cricket. I'm not sure I've ever seen it in men's professional cricket at the top mm. level that I can think of anyway. But there has been situations where the wicketkeeper hasn't kept the ball, done something else with it, and the other team's just gone, okay, we could run. Um, and so, you know, that... You know, all that is is, uh, is is on the table. So we might see something like that. So I, I think you're right. That was my first thought was just keep the ball next to the stumps until there's a chance of, you know, actually making sure that this person's out. Thanks. But to be fair to, to, <laughs> to everyone involved, no one knew what was going on in that game anyway. It was just madness. I've never seen that happen. My team shook hands and then I had to go back on. To, and, hey, credit to Mossadegh, right? To mm. have that that takes a lot of nerve because you bowl this tight last over. You won the game for your country, big game. So in your head, I'm sure as a cricketer, even the adrenaline is high, even though it is high, you kind of kind of relax, right? You the job's done. You've done it. Like you know, I don't know how many times he's bowled the last over in one game for his country, but he's done it. And then for him to go back out there, even though it's Muzarabani on strike. To still hold his now, not bowler wide, not bowler no ball, uh, and just land it where he wants to land. Uh, I think steals of uh, or nerves of steel, honestly, mm. uh, from Mossadegh to uh, you know credit it, 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 because it's such a unique position. You can't plan for that, right? How do you plan for uh, in, in, even even in twenty twenty two where they plan for all kinds of scenarios? But I don't think you can plan for a scenario where the game's over technically, but then you have to come back and win the game for your team again. So I think, yeah, credit to him. But yeah, like I said, like we've been saying over the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, this World Cup has seen everything and some. Uh, we'll have another break. And then after the break, uh, we'll finish off with a little bit of talk about Bangladesh and Ireland. Uh, Barat, so we have um, a position where Ireland had a chance of getting in the finals at one stage. And I talked to a couple of Irish friends because I put something out that this could be Ireland's best ever World Cup. And of course, the Irish people are like, ah, 2007 World Cup. And I was like, 2007 World Cup was, they beat Pakistan, they tied with Zimbabwe, and they beat Bangladesh. I think they've been better here. 
all things considered. Yeah. And then the other tournament is 2015. They beat the West Indies. They beat Zimbabwe in a great game. They West beat Indies. the UAE. And they actually played pretty good cricket against India and Pakistan in that one. But that, that's obviously a, a, a 50 over World Cup. Um, I, I think you could, you, if they do anything handy against New Zealand, they don't have to win it. But if they play a good game against New Zealand, I think you could claim that this is the best tournament they've had. And I had Andy Balburney on this podcast, what? seven months ago, eight months ago, basically mm. admitting that they weren't particularly good against in T20 cricket at that time. It's been quite a turnaround for them. Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it has been their best ICC performance ever. After losing that first game, I remember Andy Balbany's face. He was devastated. But he said last time, last year, we won our first game and then, you know, didn't qualify uh, for the, or didn't go more into the Super 12s. But this time, I have a feeling we're going to do the opposite, losing the first game and come back. And that, and their wins as well. Look, that win against uh, the West Indies was uh, highly professional, very comprehensive. Mm. Uh, and when you thought West Indies, after they beat Zimbabwe, they had momentum or whatever it was. But the way they played, it was they outplayed them. Uh, they came back from behind to beat Scotland. And whether you want to blame the weather or whatever, they came back after that defeat against Sri Lanka and beat England. And they've given, uh, and unfortunately, their game against Afghanistan gets washed off, right? Yeah. You, they had momentum. It was pro- conditions that would have favoured the Irish that day in Melbourne. If only they'd got some play, I would have backed Ireland to to beat Afghanistan, especially at the MCG in those conditions with the big boundaries and all that. So if that they get two points there, then they go into this game against Australia ahead of Australia and the points table in in terms of points. Uh, and net run rate and who knows right like you know then Australia under even bigger pressure and maybe Ireland have the you know two wins on the trot they're feeling better about themselves they go all the way and challenge Australia even more than they did Uh, so it's been and you look at that team from top to bottom there's there aren't too many weaknesses the spinners are doing the job George Dockerell bowled beautifully yesterday I know he doesn't always finish his quota these days uh, Barry McCarthy came and spoke to us in the mix zone. Um, he he said the same. Like, there's just this feeling about this Irish team that uh, like there's, there's no. Uh, and, and he said that uh, you know earlier it was all about just qualifying out of that first round, but they don't think about it that way. Like you know they're thinking about the semi-finals. Someone asked him if you know they're even focused right now about finishing in the top four in terms of qualification for the next World Cup. And he said no, that would be like us setting the bar too low. Even now, I know we have to beat New Zealand, who are uh, the form team of the tournament, but we are backing ourselves to do that. So I think not just in terms of performance, just the way they're coming together as a team, but the confidence that they seem to be carrying into uh, onto the field, uh, I think this has been their best performance so far. And maybe it can only get better if they somehow find a way to beat New Zealand. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really interesting. Uh, I for hardcore Irish fans, I think it's hard to ever go past 2007. And I think 2015, they were fa- fantastic. But having said that, I think they've always been better at one-day cricket than they have been at T20 cricket. So um, it, I think this one does stand out. Also, what stands out is how uh, much the light has changed on our chat from being able to see you <laughs> to not being able to see you. Yeah, it, it feels like day and night. <laughs> I can't wait for that Adelaide weather. Um, <laughs> The other other one I was just going to throw at you is Bangladesh, right? So Bangladesh have won two games. They've got the two hard games mm. uh, coming up 
Although, who knows against Pakistan? Because Pakistan could be halfway home by that game. Yeah. Uh, but they got India and Pakistan to come. This has been a really good tournament for Bangladesh. They, the win over the Netherlands was assisted by that ridiculous start that the Netherlands got off to. Um, and I think if the, the Netherlands will be cursing that game until the next World Cup. And then the second game, uh, of course, that I think those teams were just really evenly balanced, as we've just heard <laughs> how close it went to the end. But uh, for Bangladesh, I don't think it's any joke that they've won two games in this level of the tournament and they're still within a realistic chance of qualifying for the finals. And I was speaking to someone, uh, uh, one of the former coaches of the Indian team yesterday, and he was saying how there's something about Bangladesh. They never let India breathe easy in, in, in World Cups. They might not beat India. They always always run them close. It's in, in any condition, wherever they play against them. There's something about India-Bangladesh contests uh, that doesn't get spoken about as much as it should be. Uh, and it's almost like they annoy India. In whether it's 20 over cricket or 50 over cricket, uh, where India end up making more mistakes than they do against other teams. They somehow then rally around and find a way to beat them. Uh, but again, in Adelaide, who knows, right? The weather, there's supposed to be some weather tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. It's, it, it's, it's the night game or the evening looks game anyway. It's dark there at the moment. It, it looks, uh, you, I, I'm glad you can see at least my teeth, which is just a good sign. <laughs> I have a good dental care here in Adelaide. <laughs> so, I don't know. Nobody And people wrote off Bangladesh. I know a lot of uh, people like Tim Wigmore, right? Like, you know, this is Wigmore's world, right? When you talk about uh, uh, teams outside the top or the Big Ten or whatever you want to call them. And he felt that Bangladesh didn't even deserve to be in uh in the top eight, uh, they should have been playing in the in the first round. But so far, they seem to have done all right. Uh, you know, they got smashed by South Africa, but uh, they got over the line against Zimbabwe, and they will challenge India and Pakistan, especially in Adelaide. So uh, who knows? You can't rule them out. Like nobody's giving them a chance at the moment. Mm. Everybody's talking about South Africa, India. But if they beat India and say South Africa have beaten Pakistan by then, now. I would back Bangladesh to beat Pakistan. So that's four wins. So, yeah, Bangladesh are not out of this yet. Does it make them a good team? I, I don't know what to make of Bangladesh, but that is sort of the beauty of Bangladesh, I guess. Well, I mean, they've had a terrible win-loss record for a couple of years now. And I think the quality of this, I, I have Zimbabwe as the 11th best team on my power rankings. And Zimbabwe have been really good, right? So I think the actual depth of of mm. quality that we have seen. And Scotland were really good. And West Indies, probably better than what they showed as well. Namibia beat Sri Lanka, right? Like, it is ridiculous to have a look at that talent. I think Bangladesh's big problem is still that they can't make runs quick enough in T20 cricket. But they really make up for that with their mm. bowling um, at the moment. Whether they could do that against the top-end teams, um, you know, they didn't against South Africa. So whether they can in the next two games is really interesting. But... Um, I will talk to you again next week when... Wait, have you done that thing? You were, weren't you taking the World Cup out into the ground? Have you done that yet? Is that coming up? Oh, that's coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so tune in to Zimbabwe versus Netherlands, but tune in 15 minutes before the game starts because you might see a familiar face walking out the World Cup trophy to the middle of the Adelaide Oval for reasons that I am not aware of. I, I don't know why, but that's it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, tune in early. Uh, and I, I know at least at least a couple of commentators have are lining up to be on air when I do do that. And like I told you last week, Jared, I asked the organizers in dress code, is there anything you want me to follow? They said, no, no, we want you to be yourself, mate. So I asked them, it's their fault. 
They get what they get. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, if you are looking at the YouTube video now, what you'll see is a shadow walking out onto the ground. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on again, mate, and I'll chat to you again <laughs> next week. Thanks for listening to 99.94 Network Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barat Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti, Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account.